Thank you, Doug. A teacher of public speaking in one of his classes gave his students three instructions to help them be better speakers. He said, be bright, be brief, and be gone. I'm going to try to do two out of those three this afternoon. What would you say you are most likely or most frequently likely to commit as a sin? Would it be murder? I doubt that. Would it be adultery? More likely, but I doubt that. Would it be drunkenness? Still more likely, but I doubt that. I believe for most of us, if not all of us, it would be lying. But not just any lying. Lying to ourselves. Probably there are a few things less frequent and few things more tragic than lying to ourselves. God puts a high premium on honesty. First Timothy 2, 2, Luke 8, 15, Acts 6, 3, 2 Corinthians 8, 21, 2 Corinthians 13, 7, Philippians 4 and 8, 1 Peter 2 and 2, and the list goes on about how God cherishes honesty. And we also put a premium on honesty when it is other people Relating to us. We want other people to be honest with us. But I do think, unfortunately, God puts a much higher premium on honesty than man does. And dare I say, he puts a higher premium on honesty than maybe many of us do. In a book written several decades ago entitled The Day America Told the Truth, they did a survey of people asking them about their habits in lying. 91% said they lie routinely about matters they consider to be trivial. 36% lied routinely about matters they consider to be important. 86% said they regularly lied to their parents of all ages. 75% said they regularly lied to their friends 73% to their siblings and 69% to their spouses. I think there's a message for that in that, but I do find that to be a curious survey. How do you survey liars and know whether they're telling you the truth or not? But I think the gist of it can be taken. We live in a society of liars. We live in a society that's largely built on lies. We have social programs that encourage you to lie. Well, I'm on unemployment. Pay me in cash so that I can continue to get my unemployment. And the list goes on and on, doesn't it? If I were to list all of the lies that I think we probably tell ourselves, I think it would be along the lines of John chapter 21, 25, where it says, if they listed all the things that Jesus did, the book, the world wouldn't contain the books. If I listed all of the lies that we collectively, as a mankind, say to ourselves, I don't know when the volume would end. And the Bible's full of people, examples, 
The devil lied to Eve. Cain lied to God. Sarah lied to the angel. Jacob lied to his father. Joseph's brothers lied to him. Hazai lied. Peter lied. Proverbs 12, 19 and 22 talk about lying. Psalms 63 and 11. The mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. Psalms 19 and 5, he who tells lies will not escape. Psalms 19, 9, he who tells lies will perish. And maybe the climax of this found in Revelations 21 and 8 said, all liars shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire. And in that verse, he puts lying along with some very, what we would call heinous sins. Lies we tell ourselves. We live in a world full of lies. And they come from many sources. First Timothy 4 and 1, there are lying spirits. There are people who seek those that are gullible. Second Timothy 3.13 But perhaps the most insidious and dangerous lies ever told are the lies we tell ourselves. Demosthenes said, Nothing is so easy as to deceive oneself with what we really want to believe. What we think and how we think makes all the difference in life. And the we in our title this afternoon is not the world. Could be, but it's not. The we is us. At least I'm addressing it this afternoon. The we are Christians. Believers. The world lies about God and his existence. I talked about that yesterday afternoon. But we know, we believe he exists. Even at times we may not act like it. But lying is repeatedly and clearly condemned. Because lying is an affront to God's truthfulness. God is not only love, God is truth. And we're told that he can't lie. And we're to be God-like. And yet, we do lie. Sometimes we lie to God. Sometimes we lie to others. But probably for us, most frequently, we lie to ourselves. And that's terribly devastating because we are in a rationalization mode. When we lie to ourselves, we're trying to make ourselves think something is not as bad or our conduct or our approach to life is not as bad as maybe we really understand that it is. And secondly, it's devastating because it's hard for others to help us. Because oftentimes we do this in the quiet internal recesses of our mind and other people don't even know about it. And it's hard to help. When we don't know about it. So this afternoon, I think this is really a lesson on rationalization. Because I think that's what self-lying is all about. William Young once wrote, Lies are a little fortress. Inside them you can feel safe and powerful. Though Through your little fortress of lies, you try to run your life and manipulate others. But the fortress needs walls, so you build some. These are the justifications for your lies. Like you are doing this to protect someone you love or keep them from feeling pain. Whatever works, just so you feel okay about it. 
End quote. Justification and rationalizing for our lives, certainly to ourselves, is probably designed to either one protect someone else, but more frequently I think it's designed to protect ourselves. Trying to avoid pain, trying to avoid guilt. But how can lying alleviate pain? It can't. It made delay it for a little bit. I know a man in southern Missouri who I we are pretty sure has lung cancer. And he won't call the doctor to get the test results because he doesn't want to know. Well, that's his choice, but it's not going to make whatever it is go away. He's lying to himself. Lying can only delay our feelings of pain. But in the end, our pain becomes greater than ever before. So without further ado, I've chosen ten lies I think we tell ourselves. And you could choose another ten, and then you could choose another ten, and you could choose another ten, and we would be here a long time. But we're going to go with my ten because I'm up here. But it is not an exclusive, nor is it even the top ten. I only have time to spend a few minutes on each one. And I'll try to do that. My first one is the lie, I can't. And that lie often or usually stems from one of two reasons, either fear or laziness. It's a lie to minimize our abilities, and as Wade discussed with us this morning, to minimize our responsibilities. We have a fear of failure, a fear of insecurity. We think doing less means we will mess up less. We have the motto, aim low and avoid disappointment. We become maybe so beaten down by ourselves or by others that we tell ourselves we can't. And when we lie to ourselves about that, it hinders our life. You can't get that job. You can't get that mate. They're out of your league. It hinders our service. I can't teach. I can't conduct a Bible class. I'm going to mention two deceased members from this congregation, and those of you that are members here will remember these men well. I'll mention one of them now, because as I was going through this, there was a man that led this congregation for several years, a man I dearly love, that I think was the antithesis of the I can't lie. I don't think he believed that at all. And his name was Bob Flack. I have sat in the audience when Bob led songs. Was he the best song leader in the building? No. I've sat when he taught class. Was he the best teacher in the building? Probably not. I've listened to him give sermons. But he never seemed to have the I can't lie. He always had the I will. And that goes a long way with me. I know Bob was more comfortable with a lawnmower in his hands or a broom than behind this pulpit. But he never let that stop him because he didn't believe the lie I can't. The 
Laziness can be one of the reasons why we tell ourselves we can't. Slothfulness. And when that's the case, I can't is really, I don't want to. But we couch it in a lie to rationalize and to soothe our conscience. Sometimes I'll hear people say, I used to, but I can't anymore. Well, I'm appreciating more and more as the years go by that we do lose our edge a little bit. But yet the hoary head or the white head has a great advantage over sometimes those that don't have any white hair. But are we sometimes lying to ourselves and say, I can't, when in actuality we could? Moses tried that with the Lord, didn't he? I can't. I can't. I can't. The Lord said, yes, you can. Barak. I can't. So let me get this Deborah to go with me. Nothing wrong with her going with him, but shame on him. Parable of the talents. One man said, I can't, so he just buried it. Jonah. I don't know that he said, I can't, as much as he said, I don't want to. But he could. And on the list goes. Lie number two. Sometimes we tell ourselves that biblical principle or that biblical scripture doesn't apply to me and my situation. My situation is different. I believe for every single time your situation is different, there are 100 million times when it is not different at all. And it's exactly what God's talking about. It's a little bit, I, I know, the I know but syndrome. It's the loophole of If we sometimes spend as much time looking for the truth as we do spend looking for loopholes, we'd be far, far better off and closer to God. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, and Doug did a nice job yesterday on this, we lie and do not the truth. goes along with the thought, I can handle this, and that's a lie. Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 10 and 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he can stand, or thinks he stands, thinks he can handle it, take heed lest he fall. Often we are most vulnerable when we think we're the strongest. We don't take the proper precautions and find ourselves deeper in sin than we ever dreamt possible. It's important that we don't view ourselves as the exception to the rule because we aren't. We're the reason for the rules. How many times we'll say, I know church discipline is biblical, but boy, when it comes to my family, I just can't really apply that principle to it. Lie number three. My happiness, my situation, my unhappiness, my situation is somebody else's fault. 
In Alcoholics Anonymous, they call that stinking thinking. And I'm not sure they coined the phrase. It's the poor me syndrome. I could be happy if only I had better parents, a better spouse, a better job, a better church, better elders. Well, we all want better of those things. We want to be better of those things. The problem with that lie is that it won't solve anything and it won't improve anything. We're just deflecting the issue of us addressing something that we need to address. We can blame all day, and at the end of that day, we're in just as dire or miserable condition as we were before. It causes us to focus on other people's faults rather than meditate on the very things and meditate on the very things we hate. It distracts us from our faults that we can address and has us focus on somebody else's faults that we probably can't address. No one has the power to ruin your life in Christ except you. Nobody has the power to ruin my Christian walk but me. Stephen Covey said, in between stimulus and response is choice. And we all have that. I talked a little bit yesterday about free will. We can fill our minds with our lies and our rationalizations, or we can fill them with God's truth. Finger-pointing makes wise men dote and forsake God's laws and do wrong. I could replace the phrase finger-pointing with simply other things, this and that. However, the fault when we mess up, when we sin, is not the things or anything that God has created. If I commit adultery with a woman, it's not her fault. She may have blamed that she has to answer God, but if I do, it's my fault because I did not discipline my senses and my walk with the Lord properly. Everything that I do that is wrong is my fault. Everything that you do that is wrong is your fault. Therefore, everything that we do that is wrong is our fault. Rather, we tend to sometimes blame others or even God for our not keeping our hearts and minds more pure and clear of wicked thoughts. If you feel tempted, and we're going to have a lesson on temptation, I think, later this evening, If you feel tempted, the answer is control. I love Joseph's work with Potiphar's wife. Sometimes you just need to leave. Had he succumbed, it would not have been her fault. She would have been in the wrong, but the fault would have been he didn't control his passion. I love Job chapter 31 verse 1 where Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why should I look upon a maid? He just told his eyes, we're not going there. In the 1960s, folk singer Anna Russell made a rather kind of a humorous folk song popular. She was an older lady when she did this. I'm going to read to you a few of the lyrics from her little folk song. I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed, to find out why I killed the cat and blacked my husband's eyes. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find, 
And this is what he dredged up from my subconscious mind. When I was one, my mommy hit my dolly in a trunk. So it follows naturally that I'm almost always drunk. When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day. That's why I suffer now from kleptomeniae. When I was three, I felt ambivalence toward my brothers. So it follows naturally I will poison all of my lovers. But now I'm happy as I've learned the lesson this has taught, that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. End quote. That's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. Number four, I'm not accepted. I just don't fit in. And I'm thinking of this within the church context, but it could be in any organization. I don't have any friends in the church. Well, I like Proverbs 18.24. I think it's the key to friendship. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. If you don't think you have any friends, we need to look in the mirror and see if you're a friendly person. People who think they're not accepted often are the ones, and pardon me if you're back there, I'm sure this is an exception, that sit in the back of the church, exit the quickest, and volunteer the least. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I served as a member with under an elder. Then as soon as amen was said, he, he would go out the side door and head for the parking lot because he knew that was probably the only chance he'd get to talk to some of the flock. I come to the second person that was a member here. Some of you won't know this man, but those of you that are members of Pleasant Hill will. His name, will. His name was Junior. I don't know all of Junior's background, but I don't think it was a religious background, maybe like we're used, some of us are used to growing up. But it didn't take long for Junior to be a friend and fit right in. His low-cow salads that he would bring to the basket dinners were famous. I remember the first time I met him, I was up here spending a week, whether it was Dean Avenue or here or both. He took me out for two meals. Well, if you've ever gone out to eat with Junior, two meals are going to last you two weeks. He was a friend. I remember as I started to eulogize him at his funeral, my first words were, I miss Junior. And I still do. He was a man that just had this ability or desire to fit in. At least that's what I read from him. He didn't tell himself the lie, I'm not accepted. Number five, the lie of comparisons. I'm as good or better than they are. And this can take several ramifications. It can take public uh, teaching. Well, I teach as good as, and you put in the name, so I don't really need to get a whole lot better. And it causes many times people to plateau at a level rather than continuing to grow and to, into greater excellence as they become 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. 
Sometimes we use that in terms of morality. Well, I'm not doing anything worse than, and you fill in the name. Well, maybe you aren't. That's not the issue. How are we doing compared to what the Lord has told us we should do? Or sometimes under this subsection, we'll say, if only I could be like them, or only if I was only like them. I think that's often escapism. Don't need to be like somebody else. God made you unique. Use what you've got. In an era of social media, comparisons, I believe, have become even more deadly. And it's one of the reasons I'm not a big advocate of that, although I don't condemn it. Because we will see on social media people putting on the most wonderful things of their life. And God bless them. And we can start thinking their life is all wonderful and my life is just yucko. Sometimes we idolize posts of exciting events and lose sight of the personal trials and tragedies and struggles that these people actually have to deal with. This subconscious comparison is a distraction robbing us of seeing our true value and potential sometimes. You are enough. God made you the way you are. You are enough to serve him with great abilities and happiness. Don't let a social media post rob you of who you really are. You don't need to impress anybody but God. And if you impress God, you'll impress a lot of other people. Just be who God made you. Number six. I'm here. I partook of the Lord's Supper. I'm a member of X congregation. I'm good. I'm saved. How many people tell themselves that? All of those things are important. Being here is important. Partaking of the Lord's Supper is important. Being a member of a local congregation is important. Being under biblical elders is important. But you can do all of those things and still be a minimalist servant. You can do all of those things and still be an attender rather than a participant. Being on a membership role that man has put together, and I'm I'm in favor of them, because how else are elders going to know who they're responsible for? But you can be on the membership role, R-O-L-L, and not be in a membership role, R-O-L-E. And that's quite a difference. Yes, we have different talents. But we all have talents. And I'm going to use that in the plural. I have never met anybody that only has one talent. Are we on the roll? Or do we have a roll? I may have shared this with you, but I think of it often, especially now as fall begins. Oftentimes, I'll be going home Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening from wherever I've been that day. And usually, or often between wherever I've been and where I go, I go by Arrowhead Stadium, which is where the Chiefs play. And in Arrowhead Stadium, you have 70,000 people sitting in the stands who desperately need exercise and 22 people on the field who desperately need rest. And I just described for you a lot of churches.
In many congregations, church discipline is in such disarray and neglect that church roles, I think, sometimes are almost meaningless. But we hold them in high esteem. I don't mean they're not important. I just mean they in and of themselves are not an indication of salvation because they're lists that we make as men. Number seven. I can change them. We often think of that in terms of of marriage, and and that's probably right. But that's a lie. Because that's God's workshop, changing people. We can influence them. We can encourage them. We can try to teach them. But changing them, that's God's work. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3 One and following says to the wives, if your husband's not a Christian, don't nag him to death. You can show by your example. We don't change people. God does that. Number eight. I can do that tomorrow and I'll get to it. Of course, we don't know about tomorrow, do we? But it's a convenient lie for putting off what we don't want to do despite its importance. And you can go to all of the time management courses you want that tell you to put important things in a red envelope and less important things in a green envelope and do the red envelope first. Human nature is going to do the green envelope because we don't like those hard things. It's a convenient lie for putting off what we don't want to do despite its importance. Tomorrow I'll study. Tomorrow I'll visit that ill person. Tomorrow I'll share the gospel with someone. Tomorrow I'll tell somebody about God. Tomorrow I'm going to start telling the Lord the truth. And it never happens. In Psalms 95 and 7 it says, Today, if you will hear my voice. I think that's a comment on, you need to do it today because you don't know about tomorrow. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. I think he's exhorting us to do it now. Because you don't know about tomorrow. That becomes a lie. Number nine. That's just the way I am. Often we rationalize destructive problems in our lives as unchangeable parts of who we are. We see as part of our genetics or simply something in our environment that we can't fix. That's just the way I am. I know I've got a temper, but that's just the way I am. My father had a temper. My mother had a temper. Or whoever had a temper. And that's why I've got a temper. Well, that may be an influence, but it's not why I have a temper. It's not why you have a temper. Blaming it on somebody else, genetically or environmentally, helps us avoid responsibility. I can't stop because it's so deeply ingrained. That's how I was made. You know, that's really blaming God. God made me this way. Don't blame me. It's really saying God messed up when he made me. It's his fault. And even he can't or won't fix it. So don't blame me. But we need to remember God is in the fix it business. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it to its completion. God's in the fixing business. We just have to let and accept his work and not rationalize away things we need to change by lying to ourselves. We need to admit the problem and seek transformation. Sometimes we think it's not that big of a deal and God won't mind. Well, if it's a sin, it is a big deal, and God will mind. Lie number 10. No one will get hurt. This lie could go along with, no one will ever know or find out. That is one of the most irrelevant statements ever made, because God knows everything, doesn't he? And he's really the only one that counts. We sometimes lie to ourselves that if it's behind closed doors, only those involved, only two responsible or consenting adults, if it only impacts me, then what's the problem? However, at best, it means no one that we can see is impacted right now. But sin always has that ripple effect. Some of you right now are suffering from lies that other people convince themselves of that are still having a rippling effect on your emotions, your lives, and your thoughts. Ramifications, be they spiritual, emotional, or physical, have long tentacles. I tire of people who divorce saying, the kids will get over it. No, the kids will get through it. But they don't get over it. Drugs in a family. Lacks attendance. How many times parents will think, I don't know why my children, and then you fill in the blank. Well, could it be that was the example they saw? You know, it's not easy to raise Christian children but it's a lot easier to raise Christian children than to fix broken adults. But even if others aren't hurt, and I think they are, we need to remember that God himself is grieved and pained by our actions. He felt pain before the flood, Genesis 6-6. The Holy Spirit was grieved over the Israelites' rebellion, Isaiah 63 and 10. Jesus grieved over the rejection of his people to his message, Matthew 23, 37. Our sins and lies always cause pain, grief, and tears. If not today, tomorrow. Self-lying or self-deception is one of the greatest problems we will ever face. Our families, our friends often see our self-lies, but we don't. Unfortunately, they often value our friendship more than they value our souls, and they never tell us the things we need to hear for fear of our reaction. Of all, however, the forms of deception, self-deception, self-lying, is the most deadly, I believe. Of all the deceived people, the self-deceived are the least likely to face the lie. When we are deceived by another... We are lied to against our will. But when we deceive ourselves, we are lied to as part of our will. 
we become our own worst enemy and are working deceit upon ourselves. We want to believe the lie so bad. We're so psychologically, emotionally conditioned to do so. It's so hard to to church discipline a family. I understand that. We do not resist self-deceit like other deceits. There's little struggle in the victim when he's lying to himself. Have you ever met a person who admitted that they're lying to themselves? It's rare, if ever. Because we don't recognize it. And even if we do, we're not going to admit it. The very nature of lying to oneself is that there is no conscious awareness of believing a lie. It is altogether possible to practice fraud on our own minds and souls and go deceived to the judgment day. And Jesus, I believe, addressed that in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And many will say unto me in that day, Have we not done all these wonderful things? And I will have to say, Depart, I never knew you. I think those are largely people that may have lied to themselves. In 1997, as we wind down, Jim Carrey starred in a movie. It was entitled Liar, Liar. Some of you may have seen it. I can't remember if I ever did. I did see some clips of it. And it has to do with a man that was put under a spell, so I think for at least one day, he had to always tell the truth. And it was kind of humorous. I don't want to recommend the movie because I don't remember it well enough. There may be some parts of it I don't want to recommend. So have your elders watch it first. And then ask them if you can watch it. But it was a little humorous because it pointed out how many times the average person lies. Not by what we'd call a big lie, but just lies. You know, a woman would ask him, how do I look? Well, every man hates that question. But we we learn how to handle it. But he would just tell them. And on it went. It just pointed out that honesty is hard. Integrity is hard. Sidney Harris wrote, honesty consists of not being willing to lie to others. Maturity, however is that which is even harder. It consists of not being willing to lie to yourself, which is even harder than not lying to others. It's a good chance that maybe you'll think it's in minuscule things. I I haven't heard it. But we have lied today. Someone might have asked you, how do I look? They might have asked you, how do you feel? Well, I'm not up here telling you that that you're going to hell if you tell someone you feel okay and you don't feel okay, but is it the truth? You could say, I feel better. We just simply have to come to the point where we examine if we're lying to ourselves. And probably the greatest, most tragic self-lie is the lie, I am saved if we're not. That is the most tragic of all lies. It's been quoted several times this weekend, and I quote it again with no apologies. Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. Until 
then the worst mistake we can make is to think because the sun is still shining in our lives, all is well. And the sin must not be a problem. Marcus Dodds wrote, Shallow natures tremble for a night after their sin. But when they find that the sun rises and men greet them as cordially as before and that no hand lays hold on them from the past, they think little more of their sin. They do not understand that fatal calm that precedes the storm, end quote. You ever laid your head down on the pillow feeling really bad about something you did that day that you know was wrong? But you wake up the next morning and it's starting to fade. It must not be that bad. Everyone's still talking to me. The sun's come up. God's still blessing me. But the truth is, we've lied. All of us here today are sinners. You are sitting by a sinner. If that bothers you and you wants to move, want to move, fine. But wherever you sit down, you're still going to be sitting by a sinner. That doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. Because a sinner who comes to the Lord and asks for forgiveness has those sins washed away. And heaven-bound people are not people that aren't sinners. Heaven-bound people are people who have been forgiven of their sin. Pilate had to make a choice. You and I have to make a choice. And possibly the hardest thing for most of us to do is to be honest with ourselves. You ever thought if people really knew the real me, they wouldn't like me? Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but if that is true, let's change so that someone can like you. And maybe most importantly, so that you and God can like you. Well, the rest of this message is up to you and to me. And what we will do with it. And that will be determined the next time we are tempted to lie to ourselves. When we want to convince ourselves that it's okay for whatever reason. Then you and I will have to make a choice. We'll have to continue to lie to ourselves. Or face it honestly. And clean it up. And it will probably be one of the hardest choices that any of us ever have to make in our lives. Shall I lie? Or shall I say, Lord, I am yours. Help me to change my lying ways. I'm yours for as long as you wish. But let me present myself to you as an honest servant. Do with me as you please. Let it all be for your glory. And then take me home. That's it. We're going to extend the gospel invitation. The song has been selected. All of us need to 
as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine ourselves. Because there are some examinations that nobody else can do for us. They are so private. They are so personal. Personal. But they're so critical. Help us of all people not to lie to ourselves. And let that allow our service to the Lord be of even greater magnitude than it's been so far. If we can help anybody in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.